hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the podcast. This is your host, Zach Harold, owner of Battle Mountain Media. You may recognize this podcast as Archery Maniacs. I will be making a transition to Battle Mountain Podcast from Archery Maniacs. It will still cover all the archery tips, tactics, and stories that you know, like, and trust. But by transitioning to Battle Mountain Podcast, I will also be able to cover rifles, muzzleloaders, e-bikes, reloading, photography, videography, and so much more. I am by no means allergic to rifles. In fact, I love rifle hunting. I just figure that people don't come to a podcast called Archery Maniacs wanting or searching for rifle hunting topics. By making the switch, it will allow me to cover all the bases and have a blast doing it. I truly appreciate all of your support and hope that you continue to enjoy the podcast. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you the first ever Battle Mountain Podcast episode. Information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. You know, when I first started doing TV side of it, it's like, say something cool. <laughs> Look awesome, you know, be the man. And, uh, you know, once you get over that kind of stuff and just be yourself, it gets a lot easier. But, you know, Joe's going through some of those trials and tribulations it's, now as a new co-host. And it's intimidating. You don't expect it. And, I mean, even in my past careers, I've been in front of cameras a lot. But it's it's a completely different aspect when you're putting the camera and the hunting together. And like you said, you do have that pull where it's you want to say something cool, but you don't want it to be unnatural. So you're trying to you're trying to unnaturally force yourself to be yourself in front of the camera. And it's this weird balance that you're trying to find. And I found it a lot more towards the end, but the first few hunts were definitely odd. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you ever hear me say anything super cool, it's it's scripted, <laughs> typically. You've been thinking about it for weeks, oh, yeah, just yeah. tracing it over. Just waiting for my moment. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Yes. <laughs> the light is shining on me now. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning into the podcast. I have Steve and Joe uh, hosting co-host of The Edge, correct? Yeah, man. Correct. And uh, here at ATA, and I'm just, I really appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time out today to hop on the podcast with me. I been following and watching your stuff quite a bit and then obviously you're kind of new to the scene but i i as i kind of dove more into your background i steve i i honestly had no clue about kind of your your archery history and everything like that and i'm i'm an archery guy man i right on i live and breathe for it and when when i saw that was kind of your background it was just it interested me how you went i mean a how you kind of got started into archery I would love to hear a little bit about that. And then moving forward, what made you get out of the tournaments and focus completely on hunting? And then how the two of you started working together and everything like that. It's kind of the direction I'd like to take it. And then yeah, sure. Story, stories along the way. Come. Yeah. You know, for, <laughs> for me, you know, for me, it was, uh, I guess I was probably, I don't know, 12 years old. And I still remember getting, you know, the movie Rambo first came out. <laughs> And of course, oh, know. you know, every kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I see this, I see this badass guy and he's got a bow and arrow and, you know, so that was it. That was all I wanted. And, you know, we grew up, it's, you know, uh, my parents, you know, uh, bless them both, 
for taking care of us. We always had everything we needed as kids, but we grew up in a very remote part of northern Ontario, uh, right on the edge of an Indian reservation. My dad owned a gun shop, you know, and we sold uh, 303 Britishes to the Indians, uh, you know, coming out the wazoo at 50 or 75 bucks a, a piece. And uh, he also worked at the Paulton Paper Mill, <clears throat> but he was always a hunter. Um, and like any young kid, you know, I, I don't think I developed my own passion for hunting until I was much older because it all started with the love of a, of a father. I wanted to be a, just like a superhero and my dad was my superhero. So, um, you know, I can remember standing at the end of the driveway crying as him and his buddies left for moose camp and I was too young to go. And he actually tricked me one time. He told me, he said, uh, he said, you can't go, but it's, it's for a very specific reason. I need you to stay here and, and guard the house from elephants. <laughs> this is how young I was, okay? Like, at least two years ago. <laughs> no. <clears throat> so I stood at the end of the driveway for a week, you know, uh, before school and after school with my BB gun pumped up, you know, completely beyond any, uh, what you should pump up a BB gun in case these elephants uh, attack the house. And fortunately for me, uh, no elephants were spotted uh, that week period of time, but... Um, Come the time I was, you know, old enough and basically it was tall enough to walk over the deadfall and go with my dad on the first hunt. Uh, it's something that stuck with me forever. I mean, in on Northern Ontario, when we're hunting, you had to wear blaze orange, uh, you know, the toque, the jacket, the whole works. And I remember it was a big deal when we downed our first moose. We cut the liver out of it and uh, he let me put it in my toque and I drug it behind me <laughs> like it was a sleigh, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, just from there, but I was finally one of the guys, you know, I was yeah. with my dad, I was with my hero and, uh, you know, you felt a part of something and that's where it kind of lit for me. And of course we rifle hunted and rifle hunted. And then obviously this whole Rambo thing with the bow and arrow, I needed one for my birthday. And I think I, it was my 12th birthday. I got it and had all my buddies over and it was the most embarrassing thing <laughs> I, I ever happened because I couldn't pull it back and everybody else could. So I was the only oh, one at my no. birthday party that couldn't shoot this bow and arrow. Oh. Your own boat. Yeah, know, my own boat, you know, and you can imagine a 12 year old who's embarrassed and ashamed and pissed off. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of, one, it was a funny deal, but, uh, I just, that kind of stuck in my head and I just started shooting arrows, you know, in the backyard and <clears throat> with the intent of, you know, popping maybe a few balloons and, mm -hmm. you know, shooting a skunk if I had the opportunity came up or that kind of thing. And, um, it just turned into a, a passion for me. Um, the competitive side of it. You know, the hunting side of it allowed me to extend my season. Uh, rifle seasons, you know, depending on where you live, they can be one week long. Uh, they could be one month, you know. Um, and here was an opportunity in that scenario where I grew up where I could all of a sudden hunt for three months of the year. So that was the kind of the driving factor and the, the determination to become proficient with that equipment um, and just kind of become a, a very proficient killer with archery tackle in hand. Um, competitively, you know, I started shooting and one of my buddies talked me into going to Manitoulin Island um, into an archery competition. It's 3D archery competition. I never heard of it in my entire life. <laughs> but it was apparently life-size animal targets and you got to shoot like 25 of them in the morning and 25 in the afternoon. And I thought, holy cow, this is something I got to check out. And I went over and of course it was a random breakup of, of people, you know, um, not that it was any kind of major tournament, but they just didn't let you just jump in with and go with your buddies. 
they told you where to go. And I still remember coming back halfway point and uh, going to get a bite for lunch. And my buddy said to me, he said, uh, how'd you make out? And I said, well, not very good. I said, I, uh, I missed one. And he looked at me and he said, you only missed one? <laughs> <laughs> and long story short, I ended up taking first place and won this archery competition. One you've never even heard of. Yeah. I've By never, accident. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Oops, did I win? Well, my bad. You know, so <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of a unique deal, uh, but it lit the competitive spirit in me too. I mean, anybody that's ever taken the time to follow me or, or watch the shows or anything like that knows that I'm super competitive. Um, and uh, who doesn't like to win? You know, um, if you're not first, you're last. You Ricky know, that's, that's how I was raised too, you know. <laughs> oh boy, here we go, Talladega Nights. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, it just kind of lit from there. And then I ended up, you know, between the hunting and uh, being successful at that. Of course, back in those days, we didn't have the sh social media platforms that we have today. So literally, you're building photo albums, uh, which we used to call portfolios once we did get into the into the business, I guess. Um but yeah, you want to talk about awkward rolling into a meeting with your photo album. You know, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I sound like I'm 100 years old. We're going to have to pull one of those out now. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I, now I that you mentioned it. That's probably better than enrolling, rolling in with your sex tape, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> He's got that yeah. too, actually. We're not doing that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I've learned my lesson on that deal. <laughs> that's how you become famous, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man, it's just, uh, you know, my archer, uh, archery career kind of took off and, uh, it sounds like eons ago, but kind of gradually built myself up to uh, winning a gold medal at the national championships uh, with, a, you know, with a bow that uh, nobody's ever heard of, you know, Forge Bow Company out of New Berlin, Wisconsin. And it was kind of, uh, it was kind of one of those deals where, you know, it was an underdog company, um, but I didn't care, you know, and I, uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have the opportunities. I shot for Golden Eagle, I shot for PSE. Show for a number of different big brands back in the day, you know, high country archery. Um, I killed my first deer with a high country. No kidding. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, they were super fast, man. That was <laughs> that was the deal, you know. Back then, they were the fast bow, but um, but yeah. Anyway, just kind of lit that up, and and uh, and then I kind of had both things going for me, and uh, you know, with the publicity and stuff that I was able to to get out of it, you know, in come these sponsors and different things, you know, really whizzy things for really a kid that didn't know what direction he was going. And, uh, you know, it's super cool. And here we are, you know, 20 years later and it's still super cool. And I'm, I'm completely out of the competitive archery thing now, you know, I right. switched and, and totally focused on hunting. Um, I guess the reasoning behind that, um, two things, there was no money. <laughs> I couldn't make a, I couldn't make a living at the time. You know, I, I can remember guys like, Burley Hall were number one in the world at the time, you know, and, and looking up and outside of some of the smaller endorsements, I mean, you, you might take home 40 grand worth of tournament winnings. And that was if you were number one. Right. Winning everything. Winning everything. Right. And, uh, you know, the winning everything, that's right up my alley, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but the, what it takes in order to be there on that podium as number one every single weekend, um, it's an enormous responsibility. It's an enormous amount of pressure. Um, you couldn't, I couldn't go to a local archery tournament anymore and enjoy myself because uh, your buddies were end up mad at you because you were the one taking home the shitty little $3.50 trophy, you know, <laughs> and a jug of bug wash, you know, for first place. 
but it meant something. That three dollar and fifty cent trophy meant something to them, right? And it meant something to me too. But it's at a point where you know I started. I kept a little bit. You know, during that phase, I would go in and just not turn in a scorecard because I really didn't care. I, at this point, I was competing against myself, and whether I won the little local fishing game archery tournament or not didn't really matter to me. I was just trying to rack up X's and make sure I was ready to go for the next big tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it can't, it became very stressful. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, you know, working a real job outside of all of this, uh, it was costly to get where you needed to go. And again, you know, like when you roll in, literally I won bug wash as first prize for archery tournaments. Were your windows clean? Oh yeah, man. <laughs> the cleanest. So, <clears throat> but yeah, it was just a really, it was a really neat part of my life, um, but it was all it was all building up to where we are now, and and of course I had no idea at that time, you know, where I'd be twenty years from now, and uh, here I'm on a couch doing a thing called the podcast, and uh, yeah, you know, still <laughs> in, trying to say in, the cool things, in still trying to yeah in twenty twenty. When did that happen? You know, <laughs> and and looking for a bug. Bug wash sponsor. Yeah, right bug wash sponsor. Yeah. Anybody's out there. Anybody out so, there we need like, you. Yeah, yeah, anybody. Windex <clears> even. <throat> <laughs> I'll take wet ones too. Dual purpose, you know. So, Oh, that's an awesome story. It just, I don't know. Like I remember growing up and watching people and watching them hunt. And I, and, and my first hunting trip, I, I rode in the saddle panyard up to the top of the mountain when I was two years old to go get an elk with my dad that they had shot a cow elk. Wow. And ever since then, it kind of morphed into it. And now I'm way over the top, you know, compared to my family, they all hunt, but not, not like I do. Right. And, and it's just interesting to me hearing people's stories and what kind of background they came from. Cause there's a number of people that none of their family hunt, you know, and see where they are now and in the industry and everything like that. And so like, Joe, have you always hunted too? Or where, where did hunting come into your life? Yeah, no, I was, I was raised hunting. Um, cool. grew up in a small town, Squamish, BC, and my old man is a welder and Honestly, what we did is we hunted to put food on the table a lot of the time. Um, hunt, fish, mushrooming, everything. If you could get it from the wild, we did that. Um, and that was just the way we were brought up. It wasn't weird. It wasn't out of the norm. And that's just how we were raised. So, so I grew up doing that. And when you say small town, how <clears throat> small are we talking? That's true. I should, we were about uh, 12,000 by the time I moved from there. I know I should... I shouldn't say small town. Dude, it's pretty like, good, man. Mike, that's yeah. huge, man. My town. You like, can have a Walmart with twelve thousand people. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I had nine kids in my graduating class. We didn't have a stoplight. In Come like, on, small day at three hundred fifty is small. <laughs> so I grew up in a large city <laughs> compared to the Zach. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, from there, and then my athletic career pulled me away from that lifestyle for quite a while. Um, got heavily involved in track and field and in football. Um, from there, I went down to Washington State, played my career out there, and then I was drafted in the CFL, and I ended up in a big, big city in Toronto, in Canada. Okay. And um, and yeah, there's not a lot of access to land out there to hunt and right. things like that. So I had been there for a while, started getting real stir crazy, and then I started asking questions and finding areas where I could get out and hunt. And growing up, we were always rifle hunters. That's what we did. We were out there hunting for meat on the table. So um, if you can hunt with a rifle, that's what we did. We have long seasons. And uh, when I was in Ontario, though, like you were saying, the seasons are basically non-existent for rifle. You got to travel long distance for that. Really? Other, other than that, you got shotgun and muzzleloader. Okay. Um, but I, I went out and compound bows always intimidated me because nobody in my town had ever touched one. I had never seen one. And here I am in Ontario and I'm trying to figure out how I can get in the bush and how I can hunt. So 
one of my friends was going out to pick up a bow and I said, you know what? I'm just going to come watch the process for what it's like getting fitted with a bow. Right. And, uh, we went in and, and he got fitted for this bow and, and he started punching the target and hitting good at 20 yards real quick. And I, I was impressed by how quickly it all went. And the, the salesman looks at me and he saw my face and he goes, so, uh, how tall are you? Six, eight. And, uh, and which hand you shoot? I shoot my right, my rifle with my right hand. He's like, you know what? I got a bow for you. And he goes and he pulls it off the rack and he brings it over to me and he puts it in my hand. And uh, I fell in love. <laughs> it's just, it's something yeah. different. That's awesome. I can't, it, it, and if, if somebody hasn't done it, you can't describe it to them. You can try and describe it, but it's completely different. It's a whole different aspect of hunting. I still love rifle hunting. Don't get me right. wrong. I still do a lot of it. But it's just, it's a completely different hunt. It's a completely different experience when you're using a bow. So. So that's what got me into the, the archery side of life. That's... And I've been having a ton of fun with it since. And, and actually, how Steve and I came to know each other, I guess, was while I was in Toronto and I was very active with the football team and I was doing a lot of the community relations and PR okay. work. And uh, The team did not like that I was open about the fact that I hunted because being in Toronto, there's a lot of people that think hunting's not right because it's a major city and it's, it's right. very difficult to explain. To but anyways, I was very open about it and I wasn't backing down from a lot of these conversations. So... I knew a lot of the individuals in the, in the media industry because of that. And uh, somehow when Steve went out on his cougar hunt and got <laughs> a whole bunch of love letters from very, very pleasant individuals telling them how much they wanted to hang out with him. Yeah, that was a full-on <laughs> full attack, yeah. Uh, the network called me. One morning I wake up and I got a call from the network and they say, hey, uh, we got this big thing going on in the news. This guy's getting attacked for taking a cougar and – and cooking it up and eating them and everybody thinks he's terrible and you're our local hunt expert will you come on <laughs> live national news and defend steve Eklund? and i'm sitting there in bed and i'm like well, i hunt but i am by no means a hunt expert at this point in my life at any point in my life and uh, i'm like you know what but this is an opportunity to defend the industry as a whole right and if they don't if they don't bring me in i don't know who they're going to call so i said you know what i'll be there and I jumped on the phone for the next four hours before I had to be there at that desk. And I'm calling everybody I can think of. And I've never been on a hound hunt. So I never treat an animal or done anything. And I'm asking questions. Why do we do that? Gets you close to the animal. Better animal identification. Cleaner, quicker kill. Certain species like a cougar, you're not going to find them unless you're doing it that way. Um, just there's so many reasons behind it where it's, it's actually a very, very positive thing. Right. So I went on. I made sure I was very educated. Or as educated as you can make a giant football player, hours? I should say. <laughs> in four hours, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I went on and I, I jumped on the news and I defended Steve. And at that point in my life, I didn't know Steve personally at any level. And then fast forward a few years later and I, I applied to a position with Wild TV. And okay. I, I was trying to pursue a career in the outdoors. It's something I've always been passionate about. And they call me and say, you know what, we're, we're considering you for this position. But uh, part of it is we're wondering if you'd be a co-host on this show. What, what show is that? The Edge. And you're going to be a co-host with Steve Eklund. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and it was just, it was, I, I did my best to hold it all in because you're still in the negotiation phase of everything. Yeah. So I don't want to show my cards, but I'm sitting there probably looking like some goof jumping up and down on the phone trying to hold my breath. And uh, it's, it's just been a great experience ever since. It's been phenomenal working along some, alongside someone like Steve. And, 
Yeah, man. You guys do karate in the garage? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes? <laughs> Jenga. Jenga. <laughs> I'm, I'm still upset. We, we ended up with separate hotel rooms, and I told Steve it was really difficult returning those matching pajamas I bought. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't have the receipt my, anymore. My heart is not broken over that one. <laughs> matching pajamas, just different sizes, yeah. huh? You know, yeah, no, same size, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I know your listeners can't see the size and the magnitude of Jill, but you would have, you can guess who would have been the small spoon on that deal. So, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy happy having my own room <laughs> well it's funny that way because obviously this first time i've met both of you in person you know mm-hmm. and i've followed steve quite a bit and joe calls me up he's like yeah, yeah let's do it at one o'clock and i'm like okay that sounds great and i'm thinking yeah, of like funny. you know a normal sized guy and i see steve go walking by and i am not kidding you, you guys were joking about it but i'm like I wonder if that's like somebody to like keep people away from steve or <laughs> Because this I've been guy, doing my best to tell everybody he's my bodyguard. <laughs> and I walk and I walk by him and I see it's Joe and I'm like, that's the guy I talked to on the phone. And I'm like, I'm only five six, but Joe's pretty big. And I like walk up there and I'm like looking at the end of the lights, trying to talk to him. Yeah, you, you know? got to stand like five feet back <laughs> just to have a conversation with him. <laughs> yeah, my neck started getting sore. No, but uh, man, that is crazy. So first off, how how many seasons has the Edge been going? Uh, we just finished uh, filming season ten. That is incredible. And you've been a part of it for three seasons now? Season 10 was my first season. Yeah. Season so, 10 was yeah. your first season. Brand that new. is so crazy. So mm-hmm. do you guys do you guys typically try and do your hunts where you're actually hunting together? Or is it like, we, you know, cameraman goes and follows Joe on a hunt and then goes and follows Steve on it and some of them you do together? Yeah. You know, last year, uh, it was a, kind of a weird di- I've always been a bit of a lone wolf on that deal. Um, and I do a lot of extreme hunts. Um not that Joe wouldn't have been able to come and hang, but a lot of the hunts that I did, you know, are just there in order for you to be successful, you need to be a minimalist. Gotcha. And, uh, so we actually tried to arrange, uh, you know, I've, we've developed a really good relationship with a guy named Darnie Kisslinger, uh, and his daughter, Lana, who run uh, Kisslinger Outfitting. And okay. they have a Saskatchewan black bear camp way up in Northern Saskatchewan. That's cool. And, uh, Last year, we were going to do uh, Joe, myself, and our other co-host, Eric uh, Griba. And uh, everybody got all this arranged to go and do a black bear hunt there and kind of have an episode where we're all together. And, you know, so we could show some of the bonding time, campfire time. Kind of bring it time. together, yeah. right? Get it. And then uh, it kind of went sideways for me. These guys ended up going. Um, I didn't. I, I ended up electing to go to Africa. I can't say I blame you. Yeah. On that <laughs> yeah, jeez. Come on. So... Uh, you know, which turned, you know, that turned into, a, I, I was sorry to miss it and we're going to get to do that again this year, but yeah. you know, Africa for me, that was the first time. And it was kind of one of those deals where it was on the bucket list, but it wasn't a super high priority. Um, you know, Africa, a lot of it's high fence and yeah, you know, you get into the debate about how big is the high fence and how many hectares and acres does everybody have. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, South Africa is typically high fenced regardless of how big it was. And, so it just, you know, if I was going to go to Africa, I wanted to do, you know, a specific few species. I, I mean, literally sitting in the blind and I'd be, you know, a cool animal would walk by and I'd have to ask the guide, you know, what's the red one? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you know, it was just one of those trips where I'm glad I did it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a different outside the box hunt for me. You know, I'm used to being in the mountains and right put your backpack on and see in 20 days kind of thing. Um, so this was a, this was a fun filled 
slaughter fest. I've, I've seen Arrows some of the footage. <laughs> it's, if, well, you, you grew up and you moved into archery because you watched Rambo. Yeah. And that, that, that hunt was about as close to a Rambo movie as you can get in the hunting industry. Yeah. It was, it was five days of chaos. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And we started it with a bang too, because, uh, you know, one of the only animals that I really wanted to pursue over there was the black death, the Cape Buffalo. And I wanted to do that with a bow and arrow and, you know, cause there's an element of danger there. Uh, it's definitely a heart pounding, exciting, thrilling kind of thing to do. And, I remember talking to the outfitter because this was all kind of last minute stuff. And I said, what's the odds that, you know, we'll see a Cape Buffalo that I can stock. And he's like, well, we've been hunting this place, you know, out here for, you know, three years. And we saw Buffalo twice and the closest they were, were 180 yards. So I said, well, okay, no problem. You know, what we're going to close that distance. Well, what are we going to do? You know, like we, there was a laundry list of the small plains game animals on there and, um, that we'd have opportunity. And I was like, well, yeah, let's do it anyway. Mm. And my first afternoon in the stand, I stuck a Cape Buffalo with my bow. Oh. <laughs> Very first animal. Was everything kind of downhill from there? It was incredible. <laughs> like it was, it, you had to be there. Uh, I don't even know if, if the footage we captured will actually show the intensity of it. The outfitter couldn't believe it. Um, he couldn't even look. Uh, he couldn't even, he actually turned around and looked out and looked at the back of the blind. Um, and he, he was trying to get me to shoot it with a rifle and I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so uh, he was afraid you're going to miss or what? Is that what he, is well, that he couldn't look? Uh, he was just really nervous. They've never had anybody over there do it with a bow and arrow. Gotcha. Um, and again, it's kind of like, you know, it's like going on any kind of dangerous hunt and having, uh, you know, a guy back you up on a lion hunt that you've never met in your life. Right. And you have, you know, oh, trust me, I can shoot. <laughs> okay. You know, like. I'm puckering up here on this deal. Wow. And you got to cross your fingers and hope for the best for the most part, you know. And, um, I think he was the same way, you know. They never seen the archery equipment get used in that kind of capacity. And, right. Um, but, yeah, when the week was over, boy, it was, uh, I think there was eight animals in five days, 100% recovery. And, yeah, I mean, the buffalo, I mean, 120-yard recovery. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was just, it was an incredible experience. And, it, and those things are big bastards. Like, good. Yeah. God, they're big. And speaking of having somebody see you use a bow in a way it's never been done before, your upcoming brown bear hunt, that's something that's yeah unbelievable. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. Yeah, so we're, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to go to Russia uh, two years ago, and I did a sheep hunt over there. Oh, there's Ryan Kohler calling. Hold on one second. <laughs> hey, Ryan. You probably got to move your headphones. I'm on a... Oh, yeah. I'm on a podcast. I'll call you right back. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, anyway, that's Ryan Kohler. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I got to go And who's over Ryan? Ryan's the owner of Wild TV. The oh, network. okay. You, you answered gotcha. it. I just realized I'd ignored his call, so now I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. Well, well Way to it. go. Shoot. Winning. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I so I went over and did this uh, hunt in Russia, actually, with Ryan Kohler. Wow. Uh, and we uh, we both took beautiful rams over there, Kamchatka snow sheep. That's and, beautiful. So if cool. you get a chance, you should check that episode I out. I would it's love to. Yeah, I got super hunt. lucky, I guess. You know, and that's one of the things that I've been blessed with in my hunting career, too. Not only successful, <laughs> but luck. Luck, <laughs> yeah, human man. horseshoe, this guy. I've got a horseshoe wedge <laughs> that only shows itself once in a while. 
Um, but yeah, like, well, I'll give you an example going over to Russia, you know, to do this. I'm a, you know, I'm a huge sheep hunter. I love to sheep hunt, uh, just the, how hard it is and how gratifying right. it is when it actually all comes together. And <clears throat> I went over there and I ended up shooting the number eight, uh, Kamchatka snow sheep in the world, Jeez. you know, and, Did you do uh, that with a bow or rifle? No, rifle. That was a rifle hunt. That's silly. So I didn't know this at the time, but this was two years ago. And um, over in Russia, you can only bow hunt small game. Ill- really? Illegal to bow hunt big game. Yeah. That is crazy. Over in Europe, they don't allow bow hunting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's craziest thing, you know, especially for us as North Americans to hear that kind of thing. It's like even flying on the plane, like you bring your gun on the plane while well, you got to go through all the proper paperwork and it's a huge hassle. But you can fly anywhere with a bow. I mean, just throw it in and away you go, <laughs> away yeah. you, go. you know? Um, so to hear kind of the roles reversed, um, Russia uh, last summer um, just legalized uh, bow hunting big game. Wow. So we're heading over end of April, and I'm going to do the Kamchatka brown bear. Oh. So I bring a bow and a yeah. rifle, um, but because, you know, a lot of this I think is going to be done basically from Snow Machine too. That's how they get around quite a bit once you get in there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be another unique experience and I want to have the bull with me and in case, you know, it could potentially be the first guy ever to, at least legally, um, harvest, right. a, harvest a Kamchatka brown bear with a archery tackle. That would be so cool. That's something <clears throat> that I've always, always wanted to, you know, everybody's like, well, I want to go shoot a moose. Or I want to go shoot this. I'm like, nah, I want to go shoot a brown bear and wherever I can, yeah, Kodiak right. or wherever with my bow. I just, something about knowing that thing could eat you. It's just, that's like. Like you were talking, like that's oh, my, you know, like my cup of tea. I'm like, nobody, yes. I don't think there's, a, you know, I'm one of those guys that's, I'm not afraid to just come out and say it, even if it makes me sound like a bit of a goober or, uh, you know, whatever. But I mean, if that's the, it's the hero factor, right? Of right. those kind of intense hunts, like you go over there and kill a, a brown bear uh, with a bow and arrow. If that doesn't give you a little bit of a stiffy, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> Something. You know, it's, it's just so exciting. And, and, uh. I'm not afraid to to it, to call it, you know, what it is. It's such a raw experience when you're in those moments. You don't get exposed to that in your daily life, ever, really. Right. Let's be honest. So so when you can do that and, and you're putting yourself in that situation and you test yourself, you find out what you're really made of. And when you come out the other side, it's, there's something extremely empowering about it. I think it's a cool experience. Oh, yeah, man. You know, and I every time I do that kind of thing, I'll walk through. I play out a hunt. I play out shot execution. A thousand times in my head before it actually happens and i think it's just a part of being mentally prepared for it you know like but when you cut an arrow loose at a at a monster bear like that and then force yourself to lay flat on the ground so he doesn't see you in a reaction um when you lay flat on the ground you can't see him either (laughs) so you can imagine the intensity there but you need to be prepared for that kind of stuff. Well, you know? and then on top of it, see if you're able to hold your shit together. Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's a lot different, right? I mean, even in a tournament or whatever else, big old bull elk standing there, whatever, you shoot them, you're good. You yeah. Know, but you shoot, whether, whether it be an African lion, big brown bear like you're talking, I mean, it's... It's, it's intense, It's man. intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, keeping it together, you know, throughout the execution of the shot. Um, you know, it's something I think... I think you can work on that, but I always say I've been blessed with the hot blood and I get a shot of warm blood or adrenaline through my body, allows me to stay kind of tunnel visioned and focused and execute the shot. But I'm not going to lie to you, when it's done and the animal runs off, I fall apart. You might not always get to see it on TV, but I fall apart. Yeah, man. I need to take a few minutes and just 
collect my thoughts and collect myself. But yeah, it's just, there's something about it. Um, and there's all kinds of things, you know, we could sit here and talk about all of the, you know, the cliche sayings that are, that go through, flood the industry right now. Um, you know, about it's the adventure and it's the, this and it's the that. And it's, the, the truth is it's a combination of all of those things, but a, in a part of that bundle package, um, you know, there is a hero aspect and there's a, a successful and a winning aspect. Like um, I did Undoubtedly. This. Yeah, yeah, I did you it. Know, you know, I earned it's it. accomplishments. That's, man. And it's yeah. not, it's not, uh, in, at least if I'm putting words in your mouth, you can correct me, but it's not about a hero aspect where I'm proving myself to other individuals and I'm, or I'm, I'm, I'm a hero to others. Them. It's you're, you're proving to yourself that you were able to do something that you uh, set out yeah. to do that is extremely difficult and you've challenged yourself and you've overcome Absolutely. every obstacle. And, and I think that plays into you, you talking about, I like to go on those big hunts where mm -hmm. I walk in there and I do this and I do that. And it's not really just like Joe said, it's not like, yeah, cause I want to prove that I'm better than so-and-so has mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. It's like, I busted my ass, shot my bow. I worked out. I want to see if I can do it for who, for me yeah. to prove it, to yeah. prove to myself, you know, like, man, and yeah, that's, that's what keeps you hungry is after, after that hunt, once you do prove yourself to yourself that you can do this unbelievable feat, you go, okay, well, I did that. Yeah. What's, what's next? Right. And it makes you that, that much hunger each time you do something, you go, geez, there was a few times there I wasn't sure if it was going to come together. It came together. Where do I go now? Well, what do I do next? That's one of the coolest things about hunting and, and choosing these destination hunts where you walk back in somewhere is you could walk back in, you could take the exact same tur turn to get to that ridge line, see the exact same elk in the exact same spot and the, from there on it's completely different every single time you know they're they're never the same occurrence mm -hmm. every hunt you go on and that's what makes that's another thing that makes you continue to stay hungry and want it more is because no matter how you go about it none of them are the same and they never will be yeah no it's <laughs> and it's it's tough to try to explain that to somebody you know i can remember you know this question like joe poses what's next you know when i completed the north american slam on sheep People were like, okay, what's next? And I just kind of went, I think I'm going to do it all over again. <laughs> you know, like, why not? You know, uh, and it's the same thing. It's, it'd be like telling a whitetail hunter, well, you, sh you shot an eight point buck uh, back in uh, 97. Uh, so why would you need another one? Well, I, I want one every year. You know, um, that's what we do. This is part of who we are. Right. Uh, it's a part, you know. It's a part of our heritage, you know, and I think it's important to remember that and remember where you came from in order to understand where you're going in the future. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's one of those things that I wish you could sit one-on-one -on -one with everyone who doesn't hunt and have a legit conversation and answer their questions legitimately to see if we can spark an interest in them actually partaking, maybe not even in the hunt or the killing aspect of the hunt but just come out with your camera right and sit there um you know a great example of that is the last whitetail that i chased you know when you single out a whitetail buck and your focus is solely on that deer um you have to commit you know and so i true. did 406 hours in the tree stand before i killed that targeted buck right so how many deer coyotes foxes moose birds squirrels minks you know how many of those things did you see and witness and how much did that, did you soak did you in in 406 hours in the tree stand? Well, and not only that conversation, but I think a conversation coming from here as opposed to a conversation coming from what the industry tells you yeah. to tell people. Right. Right. Because 
when I see somebody have that conversation with whoever and they hunt eight or more tags a year and then they have the audacity to say, I hunt just for the meat. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Come on, buddy. You're full of <clears throat> shit. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And, and do I love elk meat? Absolutely. Do I love deer meat? Absolutely. Do I love the challenge? 100%. Yeah. You know, and the person that I'm forced to be out there when nobody else is around it's, and I got to survive. That's. Yeah. That, that's why know. I say it's a mixture of all of it these is. things that we hear today. You know, like we've all come to shows like this and we've sat there and we listened to keynote, keynote speakers talk about, you know, how you're supposed to wait for an animal to turn broadside before you take a shot and yada, yada, yada. Like, <laughs> just shut up. Don't. I mean, we've heard it a thousand times over. We know you're supposed to say that in a public setting, um, but here's the reality. I'd rather spend the 45 minutes talking you, talking to you about proficiency and knowing your <clears throat> animal's anatomy in order to make a quartering away shot, make a, a going away shot, you know, the old Texas heart shot. Um, these kind of things. Two. Quartering two. Quartering two. Oh, that one. We don't even need to dive down that So route. why, you know, and that's the time I'd rather spend, you know, talking about proficiencies rather than, you know, telling somebody something they've already heard a hundred times over. And, you know, I'm going to fill my freezer. Well, that's a statement that we feel like we have. We have to tell people these days that we're eating the meat. And this blows my mind. Yeah. Like blows my mind because I can't even... Of course, we're eating the meat. That's the whole purpose of this deal, or one of the big purposes. Right. It's a right? big part of it. I mean, yeah. that's how I feed my family. Um, but we're at the point, you know, in, in a lifestyle here where when somebody hears the word trophy, they automatically think of the antlers that you hung on the wall. And, you know, I'm just, yeah, I th I it is that... part of it. But here's the deal, too. And, and I think as hunters, we've probably done a piss poor job at this, but... If we would have started out saying, hey, I want to come over and see your trophy room, Steve. And I say, well, yeah, come on in, Joe. And uh, I walk you over to my deep freezer and I lift the lid. And you see 400 packages of steak, <laughs> you know. And I go, here's where the trophy room starts. Yeah. And then we can come in and you can look at all the antlers and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's just something we don't do. But, you know, uh, heaven forbid, you know, you go on social media. You have to, you like, I've, I even find myself, I'm guilty of the same thing. I'm posting up pictures of, uh, you know, the deer and then a plate of meat that I cooked at home to tell everybody I'm eating the meat. And I feel like such a douchebag <laughs> I think because it's like, <laughs> this is completely ludicrous. Why do I have to do this? Of I course, I'm eating the meat. Right. I have to tell people. Exactly. It, it's a part of the industry that was neglect. It just wasn't communicated properly for a long period of time. Right. And too much of society has become separated from that and, and where their food comes from. And individuals have used that against us it's not that hunters that there was some big period of time where people weren't cooking the meat and all of a sudden they've started cooking the meat now it's what's always happened but as hunters we take for granted the the knowledge or the lack of knowledge that individuals outside of the industry do or don't have yeah and and because of that other individuals are using that to their advantage and getting hunts in british columbia we've had the the grizzly bear hunt ban yeah and it's and now they're coming after cougar lynx bobcat and it's the same thing, and what they're doing is they're just using the lack of information um, as, as a way to attack us, and they're making stuff up. And because we're not portraying the image in its entirety, they're able to do that. And, and I, again, I, I do a lot of those posts about my, my, the meat I'm getting and the meals I'm cooking and things like that, but 
I live in a province where I've I've seen directly what's happening if you don't tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. And I think it it is extremely important. But for for individuals inside the industry, it's like we're like you said, you're saying the same thing. It's like, hey, I'm telling you I do something, but you all know I do this. And it's kind of rid- you feel a little ridiculous when yeah. you're doing it, but unfortunately, it is. It's not for the individuals a lot of the time in the industry. It's for the people that you're contacting and touching their outside of the industry that don't understand that side of it. But yeah. unfortunately, it is something we do. I think we do have to talk about it right now. Yeah, it's really no, important you're right. because we're we're literally we, losing seasons and and species, and it's creating a lot of issues. So yeah, no, right. and, it, and to make sure it's there for our kids and and my niece and nephew, you know, if yeah. they choose to be hunters. It's important to make the right moves right now, but we spend so much time, you know, it's like somebody listening to this podcast, you know, odds are the people that are listening to this podcast are going to be outdoorsmen and women that are already in the genre, Mm -hmm. right? And this podcast is not going to get out to the folks downtown Toronto. Unfortunately not. No, you know, um, it's one of those things where if you got to sit down, like I said, it's such a one-on-one deal because the hardest thing to do is educate the masses. And you can't educate the masses mm-hmm. unless you sit down one-on-one and start talking to these people. Well, and think about it too this way. Like <clears throat> even, even barring all pictures of freezers, all pictures of food on the table, seriously. Yeah. And if you could just line people up and they walk through my house and they look at a few of the animals on the wall and they're the stack of racks in the corner and they start kind of freaking out. But then I go pull one out and I say, man, this deer right here, I shot this deer when my granddad had cancer. We didn't know he had cancer. And the next year he died. And this is, this is my memory of him and I. Yeah. Would that change their thought? Yeah. Sure as hell would. It's a one-on-one. they look and they're like, oh, you just have that on the wall. And it's like, look, no, this tells the whole thing. This tells the hours I put in this tell, you know, it's so much more than just something on the wall. <laughs> the, the hours you put in, that's another part of the story that's not talked about enough. I don't think like with you, you're 406 hours in the tree stand. Good or, Lord. I'd have gone nuts, Steve. Oh, oh I did. <laughs> if you look he, back at still, my social media feeds, you'll understand. He still is. <laughs> he's, he's still recuperating. Yeah, he hasn't corrected since. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think that the, the, Trials and tribulations that lead up to the kill. I think that's left out of a lot of stories too. And that's something that, that people don't understand. And, and I've come back from some of my hunts and I talk to people about it. And they're like, wait, you did what? And they expect, a lot of these individuals expect on day one, you walk out in the bush. And the first thing you do is, yeah, you just walk out and you, you empty your gun. And every bullet goes through an animal, kills it. And you throw it in the back of your truck. and you go All home seven. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what they think. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy that there's that big of a disconnect right now. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of like... <clears throat> You know, going back to, you know, the people, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to talk to the anti-hunters because anti-hunters are going to be you're anti-hunters. Never gonna, you're never going to get them. I want to talk to the people that sit in the middle. Yeah. The, the open gray, gray area, yeah. The gray area. Like you and, say, and, I have no problem with somebody that doesn't want to hunt. Yeah. Whatever. But as long as you're at least open to have a conversation, perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. when you, you know, when you walk in that individual's house, it sits in the gray area and the, and the conversation comes up, you know, um, you look over and uh, here's a picture of their son's graduation hanging on the wall or sitting on the mantle. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very easy to transition into an analogy. And you go, why is that up there? Oh, that's our son and he graduated. We're super proud of him. Perfect. Now, here's something that, I'm, that I've done yeah. that I'm super proud of. Or here's my son. Right. You know, a picture of my son and his, and his first buck. Mm-hmm. 
And they start to connect the dots and they go, okay, there's a, there's a social aspect to this. Um, it's an accomplishment, no different than graduating or, you know, um, and it just kind of leads into a more open conversation about what we're actually doing. And right. you know what they don't want to hear? They don't want to hear all the same stuff that, again, they've already heard um, while we're conservationists. Or well, you eat meat too, don't you? Yeah. How do you, you think know, that thing got there? Yeah, you know, you think there's any, itself. You, yeah, you Come think on. there's any point to telling somebody, <laughs> you know, who's giving you a hard time, well, you're wearing a leather belt and you're driving a car and, you know. Uh, you know yeah. how many cows that car killed? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just, it can get completely ridiculous but you know i enjoy you know trust me i've battled the anti-hunters on more than one occasion um and you do you get through but it's such a low percentage and it's kind of falls on deaf ears because somebody else will just enrage them the next time and away they go again you know so right yeah. it's like talking to somebody that's sold on hoyt about botech honestly right they're just like click turn that off i'm not gonna listen yeah well where'd you say it's just so and i like to have the legit conversations with those people that sit in the in the gray area because you know as a as a hunter um that believes probably more so in in the heritage aspects of it than anything else um i enjoy that that challenge and that opportunity because at least there you got a fighting chance you know when you go up against the fanatical anti-hunter there's trust me i've tried it's It's fun i've been there yeah (laughs) it's took me it took me four months just to delete that there's a hate mail there's a video online right now there was somewhere overseas they they they, it was a breakfast news and they had a hunter and a vegan come on and they interviewed them together i'm I'm not going to cover it right now but if you get a chance go out and watch this clip because the way it breaks down and the hunter was very calm and collected the whole time and very polite and the vegan just showed his true colors in this interview it was unbelievable but it shows you in that point these individuals are not there for a conversation their mindset and they're just there it's not a conversation they're going to talk to you till till you agree with them yeah or they're or they're not going anywhere and the big thing for me is i'm I talk to a vegan, I'm perfectly happy if, if they want to be vegan. Right. I'm happy if people want to live their life the way they want to live it. That's great. But yeah, yeah, having an open conversation with an individual who's who's genuinely interested in hearing about why you do what you do, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I actually, after I was on the news um, defending you that one time with CBC, the individual you. <laughs> I love that. Defending your honor. <laughs> um, and and I come off, and there was a bunch of individuals that were working the set that had never really been exposed to anything like that. And it's very common out there. People, they were vegan. A whole bunch of them were vegan. They were like, hey, can you come and talk to us about what you do? And they, they had so many questions. By the end of it, they said, you know what? We were like completely the other direction just because of the information they had been fed. Yeah. But they weren't antis. They weren't against hunting as a whole. So after the conversation, they said, you know what? I'm still going to be a vegan, but I fully respect your lifestyle and the way you guys approach yeah. it. And that's and, cool. And that was, that's special. That's all you're asking for. <clears throat> somebody to... Open. I don't care if they're going to, I don't want them to run out and grab a bow and go hunt my hunt spot. I don't want them in my tree stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll push yeah. them out. But just, <laughs> just, just have them be open and, and get that conversation. It's pretty cool. It's pretty special when it happens. Yeah. Agreed. No and it's, it's a whole different conversation too when they're open, right? I yeah. Mean, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's interesting because it's, you know, you get to talk to somebody that's, you know, that you can at least, and I think if you're respectful about it, um, you know, you don't have to be you don't have to talk above your knowledge base either. Mm-hmm. 
which I think is important because as long as you're talking about it, you know, and it comes from a genuine place, that's where you get the most traffic, right? And that's where it kind of sinks in for everybody. Um, you know, I'm not going to get up in front of a crowd and, and and make a fool of myself and talk about habitat encroachment and all these things that, you know, I can hold, I can stay in a conversation, but I'm not proficient on any of that. I'm not a wildlife biologist, right? you know? Um, you ask me why I hunt, I'll tell you, but it's going to be my way. Right. You know, right. it's going to be what, what I genuinely believe. And what is that? You know, it's, again, I think it just boils down to, um, I call it a father's love, you know, and that's where it all started for me. I don't think anybody who hunts the first time has a passion for hunting. I think you're doing it for a different reason and, and everybody's different. You know, maybe your uncle took you out. Uh, for me, it was my dad, you know, and I wanted to do everything my dad did. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to eat Fruit Loops because my dad ate Fruit Loops. And <laughs> yeah. He was the man, you know. Right. Um, I get it. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's just, and I think there's a lot of kids out there, a lot of young kids out there that are just like that. And then all of a sudden something will click for you and whether it's the, the thrill of the success, whether it's the sceneries, whether it's the hiking and the, and the, as- the physical aspects of getting out there and accomplishing something. Um, you know, there's just a number of different things that that'll eventually turn that into a passion of your own. Right. And then, you know, as soon as you have success, I mean, anybody that tells me that, you know, I had success with that, but I'm never going to do it again. Well, I think you're crazy because if you're good at something, you want to do it more, you know, um, naturally, naturally. Right. And, uh, Next thing you know, bingo, bango, you're uh, famous. Yeah, you're doing a, <laughs> you're doing TV shows and all this kind of weird stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's been an interesting run, that's for sure. Yeah, and so then why do you hunt, Joe? Why do I hunt? That's well, a yeah. that's a big question. It is, isn't that's it? That's a huge question. Um, I ultimately it, it definitely would tie back to for me with my father and and being part of what I did growing up. And I lost my father just over five years ago to brain cancer, and it's still. Every time I'm out hunting, it's it's like he's there with me. We're still he's still talking to me inside my head. I'm going through everything the way he would have done it, and 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 it ties back to that in, in a big way. But um, again, for me, a big part of why I do it is honestly put meat on the table. I still fill my freezer. That's how I get my red meat. Um, my wife loves it. She lets me do it, so it's great. Yeah, uh, it's pro- probably half the reason I do it is keep our marriage going. <laughs> Time away from the house, so she doesn't shoot it's me. It's funny how they can, you know. It's funny because everybody, you know, my wife does the same thing. Last year we went out, and uh, I was unsuccessful on the elk hunt, yeah. and it was bad timing for me because we had just run out of the hamburger. Right? Oh elk no! Hamburger. And my wife is loves elk hamburger. She doesn't yeah. want beef hamburger in the house. She does elk. That's it. <laughs> and I, of course, I go out, you know. With my chest puffed out, going to bring meat home for the table kind of thing. I'm the man. (laughs) And I'm I'm not afraid to tell her that all the time and joking, right? So, like, and then I strike out, of course. So, (laughs) So, uh, this year we went on a, you know, bit of a rampage right out of the gates. And, you know, it was fun because it wasn't about um, the big rack. Right. You know, it, it was truly about putting meat in the freezer. And my trophy, was actually not only the meat in the freezer, but the main focus, my main trophy was making my wife happy and being able to come home and say, I That's did it plug. to her. You know, like <laughs> I, I did this for you, got it. That is I a mean, big yeah. feat. <laughs> so, That's... 
So yeah, we went out and slammed a, a young bull moose. We slammed a, a a nice little elk for the freezer. Yeah. So we got both. Yeah. That's we're, cool. We're dancing now. That's one. That's one of the main reasons that I get a additional cow calf tag, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. I look at that. I, I like you. I love those hunts where it's just me, yeah. right? Yeah. And I go back in however far I want to go. And I do it. I'm there for as long as I need to be and I get it done, whatever. Or I don't, you know, then it's on me. Yeah. But equally, I love those like cow-calf tags where it literally is, we're going to put meat in the freezer and I'm going to do it with whoever the hell I want, whether my kid's there or not, you know, like, I mean, this year I shot my, my bull elk, I don't even know, eight yards or whatever. And my seven-year-old was in my back pocket, basically. That is and wild. I shoot this this elk, and I shoot him once, and he flinches, and I hit him high shoulder, and the blood starts running down. He's just standing there, and he turns, and I knock another round, I draw back, and he kind of runs through this opening. He's like eight yards, right? So I shoot okay. him again, and I turn around, and my kid's eyes are this big around. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I didn't even see him. He goes, I thought you were drawn back to practice on a tree. <laughs> and that's wow. with him for life. That's <laughs> right. something – that will be with your son for the rest of the Well, life. and he still talks. He went on his first hunt with me when he was two. Yeah. He was on my shoulders, literally on my shoulders when I shot this elk. Yeah. Right? Two. <laughs> Incredible. And, that's amazing. But, I mean, that's stuff. Like, you guys shared how many stories with your dad and how many with your dad. And I have tons with my dad. Mm-hmm. And, like, you guys are talking. I just want to pass it. I want to do that stuff with my kids. And that's a great thing about something like an additional cow-calf tag because there aren't any antlers. Yeah. It no. does not matter. You know, you go out there and they get excited because they see something brown. If it ain't got antlers, it's down. Yeah. Like we're shooting. <laughs> and you never know those moments that you're talking about. You know, you never know what's going to stick with that kid for the rest of his life. You know, now I'm, you know, I sit on this couch at 45 now and I'm remembering stories back to when I was seven. Right. And it's the little wee things like dragging that liver out in, in a blaze orange toque, you know, and if it'd be like, you know, one of those big parachutes that come out of a, a one of those speed rocket cars, you know? That's what it was like, dragging that <laughs> thing out of there. Um, but just the little wee things, and you never know when those moments are going to come up. So I think it's important to share as many of those moments as you can, you know, with your kids, with your nieces and nephews, with the neighbor's kids, hell. And it you know? stick forever. And you it, never know. It teaches you so many strong qualities that get, get them through life as well. Mm-hmm. I think when you're out in the bush, like you said, you love going back and pushing yourself, especially when you're on your own. And, and I absolutely love that when you can just go away and it's just you. And if you win, it's because what you did. And if you lose, it's because of what you did. And you face that and it teaches you so much about right. life right. in general. I think it's really important for individuals to have. So that's, yeah. again, if you pass that heritage on to your children, you're, you're giving Good them point. so much more than just, just a hunt. So, so with that, I would love just quickly for mm. each of you to share one of your most memorable hunts. And the reason I love that is because it is so, so different for so many people. Like I talked with right. Joe yesterday, I was like, I could talk to somebody that maybe they don't even have kids and their most memorable hunt is a 220 inch deer in New Mexico in, in Mexico because of the big deer. But I can also talk to somebody else that their most memorable hunt is with their kid and they shot a four corn and yeah. <laughs> were they insta famous because of it? Hell no. But does it matter? <laughs> Hell no. You know? So I would love to hear a story. Well, Joe, you're you up. <laughs> I'm up. My, my most memorable hunt, um, again, just tying things back to my, my father and things like that would have been the last blacktail hunt I went on with my father. It was just before I went off to Washington state and, uh, my dad had been working and he was working night shifts. And I was, I was ticked off because I hadn't been out in the bush hunting. And I'm like, Dad, I really want to get out hunting. I really want to get out hunting. And his schedule just wasn't working. And we're get, getting right towards the end of the season. And 
And, uh, and finally he says, you know what? He worked through the night and he said he wasn't going to be able to take me out the next day. And he came down. He's like, you know what? We're going today. So, and I guess, yeah, it wasn't just before I took off from university, but, um, so I grab my gear, jump in the truck and we get out there. My dad's so tired. He can't keep his eyes open. He's falling asleep in the truck. And I said, you know what, dad, you just stay in the truck. You sleep. I'm going to go for a hike. I'll come get you a lunch and then we'll go, go do some hiking after that. So he stays in the truck. He passes out, falls asleep. And I go for a little hike and I'm working these ridges and this, you know, I'm just having a time getting out. And I'm just happy to be in the bush at this point. Cause I knew once I'm in university, I'm not going to get out that much. Right. And, uh, I come across this little knoll and I see this big body standing there. Like, it's got to be a buck. That's a huge body on this thing. <laughs> and I'm still pretty young, pretty early in my hunting career. And uh, lifts its head and it's just this gorgeous doe. And I'm sitting there trying so hard. I'm like, just give me an inch of bone. Like, I just want something. <laughs> you are just a big body. I'm, I, I don't get a chance to get in the bush that much right now. And a uh, big doe. So it kind of takes off over this knoll. I'm like, dang it. So I, I cut down and I knew kind of the ridges a bit and I cut off all these game trails and there was a logging slash below it. So I was like, right. I'm just going to cut off all these game trails on the backside of this ridge for a while and sit up top and see what comes out of this log, like into the slash. So yeah. I'm working the trails and I come around, I get to the top and I'm looking, I see this big body at the bottom of the slash. I'm like, that stinking doe sitting there. So I don't even think about it. I just keep looking around. I mean, I'm again, just stupid. And all of a sudden it starts moving and I'm like, wait a minute. And it's this nice, I mean, it's, it's a blacktail, so it's not a monster, but it's a nice, healthy blacktail. And it's big for the area where we're hunting and I shoulder the rifle and I'm shooting an old 308 lever action with a straight four on it. So I have no right taking a long shot, but I'm dumb and I can do anything. And I'm young, so I'm like, I'm going to do it and uh, squeeze the trigger and I drop it. But it's deep down in the bottom of this ugly valley. Like, I mean, way down there. And I get down there and I'm, I'm happy, happier than a pig in piss when I get to it. I'm looking at it and I, I have this moment where it was one of the first hunts where I really appreciated that I was taking an animal's life and I had seen everything. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, here I am, some stinking young kid going to university. I'm out here hunting. And this guy was probably hanging out with that beautiful doe that I saw up on that hill. So I'm like, this guy's in his prime and he's hanging out with the hottest girl on the block. Yeah. And some stinking punk came along and shot him. <laughs> and it just, it made everything sink into me about the, the, the weight of what I had just done, how I had harvested this animal and, and I had taken this life. And I knew in, in that point in my life, I was like, I'm going to make sure I use everything from this animal. And it just shifted the whole experience to me. And I knew it was the last time I was going to get in the bush for a while too, because of football. So anyway, so I, I, I got it and I, I kind of pull it out of the way so you could see it from the road where I was going to have to walk back in on. But I left it all the way down to the bottom. You could just see a bit of a leg sticking out from behind a log. And I hike all the way back up. I'm, like, I'm going to go get my dad before I pull this out of the bush. And I go and I wake him up. He's in the truck. He's like, well, do you see anything? I was like, yeah, I shot a buck. He's like, you shot a buck? And he's all excited. I'm like, yeah. What would you get? I, said, I shot a little spike. He's like, oh, you shot a little spike. Okay, well, let's go get it. And he's all happy. And I take him to where it is. And I point down in the bottom of this valley. And I was like, there's a spike. My dad tore a strip off of me. He's so tired. And I told him we got to pack this deer out of the bottom. He's like, you shot a spike down there? Do you know how tired I am? How hard I worked last night? I'm like, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. So I hike all the way down to it. And when we're probably 15 yards from the log, I run ahead of him a bit. And I just hit it with my boot. And it rolls out from behind the log. And the look on my old man's face when he saw that deer, like it was just, it was one of the coolest experiences. Priceless. Yeah. And uh, having that moment and sharing that with him and, yeah, that would, that would definitely be my highlight. That's so yeah. cool. Super proud of you too, yeah. eh? And he forgave me for shooting at the bottom of that gully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't mind helping me take it out of there. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. I just, yeah. 
that like those are the things you just you hold forever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for me, I think you know it's a question that kind of comes up more often than not. You know, and and what's your favorite hunt or what's your favorite memory? But I think for me, you know, it just boils down to probably a hunt I did in Canmore, Alberta. It was a archery bighorn sheep hunt. Um, sheep. Yeah, you know, it was a sheep hunt, but it was timing. I got uh, diagnosed with cancer in May okay. of that year, and uh, I was operated on. And then my first, you know, that was that was four months post-operation. Um, so I was super slow, um, but I was determined. That hunt, for me, was kind of my FU to cancer. Right. Um, I wasn't going to let that dictate anything I was doing for the fall. Um, and yeah, I kind of, you know, for the lack of better words, I guess manned up and went and did it. And, uh, I spent 17 days on top of that mountain, not coming out and, uh, killed my ram on the very last day of the season. That is. So wow. yeah, it was cool. The, and you know, as, as, as cool as getting the sheep was and everything else, of course we filmed this all for an episode of the edge and during this process, they often will go in and they'll go kind of go behind the scenes and they'll interview my wife or, you know, that kind of thing to, to get her thoughts. And when the show aired, I get choked up a little bit here on that one. But when the show aired, there was an interview a spot with her in it and uh, just a small clip in it. And it was the visual was me climbing up the mountain and it's snow up to my waist. And my wife looks at the camera and says, uh, it's where he needs to be right now. And it was, uh, I don't know, just kind of, it's probably the most special thing in my hunting career, you know, that ties back to the, the family and the support and all that, that, uh, that you need to kind of get there and do it, you know? And, uh, you know, I think it just kind of goes back to some guys would be maybe a little embarrassed about getting choked up like that or something like that, but not for me. You know, I'm not embarrassed about it at all. It was a, a special moment that'll last, you know, the rest of my life. Right. You know, and it's that support system that allows you uh, to do these things that we do. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I thank you for sharing that. Especially yeah. Because like you say, there's a lot of people that just, they're conscious about it and they, they don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because... We're men, we're tough. Yeah. It's like so much, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so much bullshit. Trust me, I walked around oh, here for the man. last three days telling everybody how tough I was. And then here I come and <laughs> I get choked up on the podcast. <laughs> but no, I really appreciate it. And that's, that's just a very raw, honest answer. And again, it ties back to how the experience is so much more than just, just a hunt. It it's, yep. it's really is. It becomes a part of who you are as an yeah. individual. And yeah. the fact that that's where you need to be at that time in your life. And it's true. It's a very therapeutic process of being outdoors and. Yeah, man, being a part of everything. It's all at different aspects of it. You know, there's, yeah. you just can't lump it into, you know, I hunt and I go out there and I, I shoot one and I hang it on the wall and that's awesome. Yep. There's so many different aspects to it, you know. Yeah. And I hope that one day that everybody gets to experience something like that. Um, you know, not that story and, and under those circumstances by any means, but just to get out there and to understand uh, how many different, you know, joys can come from just being out there and doing it, whether you're hunting or hiking or quadding or fishing or whatever, yeah. but just get out there and do it. Yeah. 100% agreed. Well, guys, I promise you an hour. 
and it has been an hour and one minutes. Okay. So well, I'm out. It's been great. We're trying to, yeah. <laughs> and there goes Joe. Drop still the mic. validate parking, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I appreciate you guys taking your time to hop on the podcast and just, you know, actually have a real conversation about yeah. kind of the direction things are going and the direction they probably shouldn't be going. Yeah. Because um, like we like we discussed, when people decide to talk about it, it just seems like they talk about it the wrong way. And I, I don't. I don't know if they feel the need to present themselves in a different persona or a different light to other people or what, but when somebody hunts that much and they tell me that's why they hunt, I just know they're full of shit yeah. and it drives mm-hmm. me nuts because I just don't get it. Like, why would, why should you be ashamed of thriving off the challenge? Right. Yeah. You're eating it. We all get that. We're not idiots, you know, yeah. but I do. I, I appreciate you taking the time and well, uh, thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks. It was great. Appreciate Hopefully we can do another one in the future. Right on, man. Look forward to it.